giving thanks has become a lost art. We live in a society with such overblown egos and entitlement that we think we deserve the good things that are done to us or the nice words that are said to us. The reality is that you and I traipse through this life as debtors. We're indebted to those who have gone before us. We're indebted to those that live around us. Many of the letters that are written in the New Testament were written by the man named Paul. And several of those letters are nothing more than thank you notes. The apostle would thank a particular church for their love, their generosity, or their faithfulness. When you and I come to 1 Thessalonians, we discover one of the first letters that Paul ever wrote. And truth be told, it was a thank you note. In just the nick of time, the apostle had gotten word that the gospel had taken root in that congregation. And because of that good report, his pen exploded with praise. I want to submit to you this morning that one of the greatest sources of inspiration is to hear of lives of transformation that have been had for the good and glory of God. Today we begin a four-part sermon series as together we walk through 1 Thessalonians in a sermon series entitled, Thank You. It is with that in mind that I invite you to take your Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want to read verses 2 to 10 in your hearing. And once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I'll begin at verse 2. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. So you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You may be seated. I am convinced that one of the greatest tactics that the devil levels against the church is discouragement. If the devil can discourage God's people, then he just might be able to derail us from the mission God has called us to. The devil can use just about anything to discourage us and derail us. Sometimes he simply uses our own selfish sin. All sin is selfishness. At the heart of all selfishness is sin. And just like an addict who rearranges his schedule to get his next fix, there are times, beloved, 
when you and I rearrange our schedule just to satisfy the cravings of a sinful desire. And after the deed is done, then you and I can become extremely discouraged because of our actions. Sometimes the devil doesn't have to use our own personal disobedience. Sometimes he uses the disobedience of somebody else. For many of us could give examples and testimonies of stories of people that we truly looked up to, siblings in the Lord, but a brother or sister may have fallen from this sin or that sin, and their disobedience takes the wind right out of our sails, and we can become discouraged for the gospel of God. And sometimes it's just the pressure of life that discourages us. We have to think about raising a family and paying a mortgage and caring for aging parents, diversifying our financial portfolio, making sure that we're happy and healthy. And in these last 10 weeks, we've tried to navigate this new normal called the COVID-19 coronavirus. And because of all of the pressure of life, sometimes we can become discouraged. Have you ever been discouraged? I mean, I'm talking about bone-crushing agony. I, I'm mentioning despair and maybe even depression. Do you know what it is to be so discouraged that really uh, you're thinking about throwing in the towel? You're contemplating quitting the ministry or the mission that God has called you to. Have you ever suffered from discouragement? I'm convinced that before Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians, he was at the end of his rope. I think that the apostle was extremely discouraged. Just track with me some of his most recent experiences. He went on his second missionary journey. He saw a vision from a man from Macedonia saying, come and help us. And he turned west. And just as a side note, we uh, benefit greatly from the fact that the apostle turned west instead of east. Had he not turned west, then western civilization would not be what it is today. But the apostle went west. He landed in a city called Philippi. And there he initially experienced great success. He communicated the gospel. People responded. One, name, one person was a lady by the name of Lydia. She was a woman of wealth. She had some means. She was a dealer of expensive purple cloth. She opened up her home. The church grew in her living room. But the preaching of the gospel was not accepted by everyone for some of the religious rulers got word of Paul and Silas and this gospel that they were proclaiming it landed them behind bars they were in jail after they got out of jail they traveled to Thessalonica and as in Philippi and Thessalonica they experienced some initial success for at least three weeks but then after three weeks the honeymoon was over and there were some bad characters in the marketplace the religious leaders, they uh, rallied up those bad characters. You and I would call them thugs and punks. They threw the city into a riot and an uproar. They evicted Paul and his companions. The apostle traveled some 40 miles to Berea. When he went to Berea, he found some more noble characters, individuals that at least would sit and listen to the gospel. And many of them responded in faith until... The Thessalonian mafia traveled the 40 miles and then they went into Berea and turned that city upside down, caused a ruckus and encouraged Paul and Silas and Timothy to pack their bags and keep going. 
Then they landed in Athens. Athens was the most sophisticated city of antiquity. It was there that intellect was prized more than anything else. Paul went up Mars, Mars Hill or the Areopagus. It was the place where men would come and debate and have various conversations. Mars was the god of war and it was believed that on this hilltop that war was waged for men's thoughts. They gave Paul the floor and he stood up and talked about Jesus. He told about how God had come down in flesh and that Jesus was the perfect God-man. He lived in a perfect life. He died on a cruel cross for your sins and mine. But then, when he started talking about how Jesus was raised from the dead, some of those religious and social elitists, they began to laugh at the apostle. They said, you're just a babbler. You're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. You're like a bird that picks up seed from one gutter to the other, other gutter. You don't know what in the world. You can't even make heads or tails or sense out of two sentences. And many of them laughed and jeered. Some wanted to hear Paul again on the subject. But the majority just simply laughed him out of town. And then he finally made his way to Corinth. When he was in Corinth, he sent Timothy. And he said, Timothy, I need you to go back and revisit some of these cities that we've been in. And please, will you tell me if, if any of them have produced a church? Can, can you please just go back and, and bring me back the report of, of anybody who has accepted? 